Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. They join S.H.I.E.L.D. to protect people. Captain, to build a better world, sometimes means tearing the old one down. And that makes enemies. One step, people are going to die. I can't let that happen. Captain America needs my help. When do we start? We just did. The price of freedom is high. It's a price I'm willing to pay. You told me not to trust anyone. This is how it ends. Everything goes. Looks like you're giving the orders now, Captain. Damn right. From the bad guys. If they're shooting at you, they're bad. Not How yet. old is your youngest? 13, about to be 14. Oh, okay. That's well, I think that's Ben's age. I've forgotten my son's age again. I think he's 13. I think. I don't think he's 12. You're a model parent. Thanks. <laughs> For child abuse. <laughs> Speaking of abuse, I've got a lot of my synopsis. Uh oh. Are we and, ready and, to dive into this sucker or what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get, let's get rolling. <laughs> Don't sound <laughs> sad. <laughs> no, let's, get, let's get going. All right, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Screeching to a halt. Who's bringing it in? Not me. Not me. Not me. <laughs> Back to the bin. Hello. I'm sorry, I'm getting a message while we're talking here. I'm sorry. You're you're getting a massage. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. that's it. That too. Oh. Got uh, a happy ending. Hey everybody, welcome to back to the bins. <laughs> you really relaxed from that from that message. <laughs> well, we finally got the band back together again. 
Are I'm you paying more for your massage and enjoying it. Get, uh, you know what? I'm just doing this all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. <laughs> right, let's let's see if I could do a little more bubbly here. <clears throat> la, la. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and for a very rare ch- time, I am joined by my good buddy Scott Gardner. Do it over. Do it again. No, I'm not doing it again. No, do it. Just say do hello. That was unfair. <laughs> say hello, or I'm coming down to Florida and I'm pushing concert. your head in the toilet. I object. <laughs> it's going to give you a swirly. <laughs> and we're joined by my other friend, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. <laughs> Who's now a Wookiee? <laughs> no, no, that was the Predator or Perry the Platypus. You haven't heard the Predator be... uh, commentary yet. Perry the Predator Puss. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that would have been good. Take the mask off. It's Perry the Platypus. <laughs> <laughs> you what the hell the are you? Perry the Platypus, what the hell are you? <laughs> Dr. Arnold Schmertz. Oh, good Lord. I see things have not changed much around here. <laughs> well, what did you think? It was going to change a lot while you were gone? <laughs> I thought maybe it matured just a tad, yes, actually. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to mature now. I've waited till this point in life to start maturing. <laughs> I do everything I can to bring the maturity level way down. <laughs> so I've noticed. Hey. <laughs> so what are we here for? We're here for our shameless, oblig- obligatory coattails riding episode of Bucky. Bucky, Bucky Dent. Hey, I didn't think you'd even know who he is. I'm not <laughs> sure you do know who he is. He's a baseball guy, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. He's been retired for 30 some odd years. Oh, he's not dead? Uh, no, he's still alive. Okay. He was, um, he was a shortstop. Yes, he was. Holy cow, for look the, at me. For the hated New York Yankees. Look at me with the sports statistics. Wow. That's not a statistic. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's as far. That's as, that's as much as I got. I couldn't even tell you if he was black. I have no idea. No, no idea. Not a clue. Just a name. Mongolian. At somewhere. A Mongolian. (laughs) He was a Mongoloid. Played with a sword. (laughs) No, this is this is and this is not the Bucky Dent Shameless Obligatory Coattails writing episode. It is the Bucky Barnes Shameless Obligatory Coattails writing episode. Ah. Because on the day that this posts, it will be one day after Captain America two Winter Soldier opens. Mm. So why not after one day after? Well, because yes. our episodes post on Saturdays. Ah. And the movie will open on Friday. Are we jazzed about this? Are we excited? Have you seen the first 11 minutes that was no. online? No. no, no, I did not. Nope. I quit after the second um, second trailer. And that's not that's not out of any like, oh my God, this sucks or anything. No, no, no. It's because I'm super jazzed for this movie. And, and you don't I want to be spoiled. want it spoiled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I actually... Uh, I watched that recent ABC special, the Marvel was at building a universe or whatever it was called. I missed and that. I missed it was, that. It's really good. 
I really enjoyed it. But even that, I was a little bit nervous sitting through it because, man, they show a lot of footage from the movie. And I'm like, come on, guys, mm-hmm. don't show me the whole movie before I go to the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it kind of that kind of worried me a little bit, just that I feel like I've seen too much, even trying not to see anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. But I'm I'm really excited about this. And uh, I, I think I think it's going to be a good time. I really do. And I like that they're saying anyway that this one is more the road to Avengers 2 than the uh, the other films, that, you know, Iron Man uh, 3 and Thor 2 so far, which. I, I've enjoyed both movies, but I think that does play into my initial disappointment with both, you know, viewing them theatrically is that it didn't feel like it had as much of the world building of the prior solo movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, you know, again, according to what I'm hearing, that uh, that Cap 2 is going to have much more world building in it. Well, so Cap I'm excited leads, just for that. Well, Cap leads itself to building more of the Avengers because of the tie in the shield right now and right. the whole... You know, because the Avengers initiative is kind of, you know, being ran by Fury. So there you go. Right. You know, it's, 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 it, it ties it a little easier than Thor does. It looks like it's got significant roles for Nick Fury and the Black Widow. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that helps with the world building aspect of it as well. Well, plus it's adding another hero, too, if, if that's hopefully that's not spoiling anything for anybody. But, I mean, there's there's a significant hero right. that's being added to the mix with this one that I'm really excited about. So Spoiler alert. Turn yep. this off and fast forward or see the movie or whatever first. But uh yeah, from the uh from everything they've shown so far, Falcon Falcon's up yes. in this episode. Yeah. And we get to see Batrock the Leaper. But now when Falcon shows up, is he gonna have Red Wing? I, or are they gonna you know, just eliminate I, that part of the character? What I'm hoping if they do anything with Red Wing, and hopefully this won't sound really, really stupid. I'm hoping Red Wing is some sort of um code name for something. Like well, not, maybe, well, maybe like, like maybe a like a piece of technology or something like a like a drone or a uh, hmm. like a almost like the best analogy I could pull out would be like Skeets to Booster Gold, something like that. You know, something mm-hmm. like, See, a, I'm, like I'm hoping they don't do that. Kinda, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, I mean, like I say, if, it, like if, it's, a, if it's stupid, then like, no, I wouldn't want him to do it. But I mean, to him to have an actual real live Falcon flying around with him is a little bit. They could yeah, do like a Mark Singer Beastmaster thing to where you can see through the drone's eyes, something like that. Right, yeah. But maybe they'll, uh, you know, maybe it'll be nothing more than, you know, we go back to Sam Wilson's apartment at some point and he's like Beretta where he has a, a pet falcon <laughs> named, you know, Red Wing or Put something. Your you know? eye on the <laughs> I'd be okay he'll sing with the that. Song. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would be okay with that. If they, if they just have it in the. I would rather that. Are you done, Doctor Bill? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I, I would Maybe rather that's they, what he calls I, little little Sam Wilson. Maybe he calls it. <laughs> you know? I could get a kick out of. He calls it Red Wing. That's kind of gross. <laughs> Ew. Maybe he's got a disease. You know, he leaves him bleeding. Oh. <laughs> I'm just. Stop. I'm going to stop because I could go further into the darkness Don't. area, and Don't. I won't. <laughs> I was in the Navy for six years. You were in the military, Scott. You know how deep this we could oh, go. Oh yes, yeah. I had <laughs> so we'll just we'll yeah, just stop. About, yes, uh, yeah. I have my Red Wings. Actually, yes. Don't don't go there. <laughs> you said it on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wasn't going to say. <laughs> oh boy. 
Oh, this one's off the rails already. Hi guys, have you missed me? <laughs> and they're not and they're not chicken wings. Oh, good lord. <clears throat> okay, well that's <laughs> wow. All right, what's next? <laughs> good night, folks. <laughs> I think we've oh, shocked Paul. Or we've stunned Paul into silence. Wow. I'm this done. One's gonna I'm explicit. done. I'll see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you. I don't want to know you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think I've managed to really look forward to this one without letting my expectations get out of control. Which I think I did on I, I think on Thor and Iron Man I let my expectations go a little crazy. Mm-hmm. So I this you know, I, I think I'll just be able to settle sit sit back and enjoy whatever they put in front of me. This because is gonna I be a long one too. It's like I'm hoping it's like sixteen at, seventeen hours. It's like two hours and fifteen minutes or something. Or two, is two it? hours and twenty? Yes, yes. It's it's the second longest. Uh, uh, it's uh, just after the Avengers in in, in length. One of the things that, that's given me a lot of uh, hope for this movie, and again, I, I too hope that I am not building myself up too much, but if there's one that, that I feel perfectly justified in having high hopes for, it would be Cap, because Cap is the one that you would hope would have the best story. You know what I mean? Because the other heroes are, are more straight-up action-adventure, whereas Cap, at least with the first movie... There was a genuine story there that I that I was really engaged with, so I'm hoping that this one continues that trend. But in preparation for this episode today and the book that I'll be covering, I actually reread um, Captain America issues 153 through 156. And in reading that particular chapter of Cap's life, I started to see where there's a lot of elements from that particular storyline that seemed to be kind of paralleled in this new movie coming out. And I'm wondering, is that intentional or is that just, is that me projecting or what, but just the inclusion of the Falcon and the espionage kind of angle and everything. It it looks like there might be some of that. So I'm excited that this movie looks like it's embracing more eras and more different facets of Captain America than what, were initially apparent because it, it looked like at first that this was just a pretty much, you know, straight up movie adaptation of the whole winter soldier story and everything. But it actually looks like it might be embracing even more than that. And I like that because the whole winter soldier thing, eh, not so crazy about all that. So if there's more to it than just that one facet, then I'm, I'm that much more excited for the movie. See, the Winter Soldier thing came up uh, on Facebook when uh, either you or somebody else saying to you that uh, he liked Bucky so much more when he was dead. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked the Winter Soldier as handled by Brubaker. But I didn't like when other people took the character. It didn't, didn't have that same feel to me. It just seemed watered down when other people were doing it. So well, I, I'm not I sure plan- what to expect. See, I plan to talk more about that when we get into the episode, but I want to kind of cover my book first because I have a particular angle when it comes to the whole, you know, resurrection of Bucky and and Winter Soldier and all that sort of thing. A, a, a more of an angle I would have liked to have seen 
as opposed to what we eventually got. But somebody had asked me on Facebook, you know, does it does it bug me, you know, with the Winter Soldier thing? I'm, you know, movie wise, I'm not crazy about it. I wish this wasn't the second movie. You know, if they were going to do it, I'd I'd rather see them do another classic storyline of Cap. Mm-hmm. And then have Winter Soldier be like the third or fourth movie. But they're doing it, and I'm okay with it because I look at the Marvel movie universe as more of it, it's a little more ultimate than it is mainstream, but it's a wonderful amalgam of the two. It's a, it's a nice blending of elements from both to make this this wonderful third thing. So I'm digging it from that aspect. The Winter Soldier, when it comes to the comic books, bugs me tremendously because I'm still of the opinion, and you know, you can call me you know, an old fart or old school or whatever you want to, but I'm just of the firm opinion that Bucky Barnes should not have been resurrected. And they can say claim whatever they want, but it, it's retroactive continuity. Bucky was dead, confirmed dead for you know decades. And then all of a sudden, Brubaker decided that he wanted to bring him back. I I don't argue that some interesting things were done with that. But at the end of the day, if they weren't going to put him back, if Brubaker was not going to put him back where he found him, then I wish they had never done the storyline. That That's just my personal feelings on it. I, I never thought it was all that great of an idea to begin with, but... Because the Cosmic Cube was involved, I really expected at the end of that storyline that he would be returned to the state that he was in before the story started. And the fact that he wasn't, and to the best of my knowledge, he's still running around out there, irritates me no end. I I just think that was a really bad move to make. But, you know, once again, I know that I'm in the vast minority because seemingly everybody else loved the idea and think he's a great character, you know, the the Winter Soldier. And me, not so much. Not so much. He's hanging out with Uncle Ben. (laughs) It should be. (laughs) I I do have a problem that they rush into it a little bit, though. And and maybe it's the old man, get off my lawn in me. But uh, it it, it feels like, you know, you got to... What do you got a seventy year history with Captain America, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and you get it, but you know you make it the second movie and you automatically got to go to stuff that's written within the last five years. Right. It it just seems like there's too much to mine there to get to the present already. Yep. You know, and 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 that bothers me a little bit too, and I, and I've seen it in some of the other movies too to some extent. Uh, you know, it, not that it was a good movie at all, but even when they did Green Lantern, they had to go right to Parallax in the first movie. Well, see, I was just going to say that it, it, it's a double whammy because it's not just Marvel that's doing it. DC doesn't seem to realize with any of their projects, especially their animated movies, that, gee, you know, we, you know, our, our characters are more than five years old. You wouldn't know it by the movies that they're putting out because everything references, you know, stories that have happened fairly recently in DC history. And again, yeah, that bugs me too, because, you know, come on, you know, you're talking about characters, some of which have been around for three quarters of a century and you can't find an interesting story in there somewhere to tell. You've got to tell every single uh, Jeff John story that's ever been told of Superman before you can go back and do a a classic like Kurt Swan era story or something. But I don't know. Kryptonite no more. Yeah. You know, why not? Give Give me some classic stuff. But I don't know. I don't want to get this too too far off. But yeah, that that does bug me a little bit. I think ultimately that's one of my problems with 
doing the uh, the Winter Soldier thing right now, as I said, is it's just, you know, we, we had the origin. Now we're getting Winter Soldier. So you've got, you know, a story that took place in, you know, what, 1941 or 42, whatever cap came out. Now you're doing a story in, you know, from what was that, like 2000, whatever, seven or something. And it's like, yeah. really? I would, I would have liked to have <laughs> yeah. seen the second movie, and I don't know who I would have wanted for the villain, to be honest with you, but I would have liked to have seen the second movie really focus on the man out of time aspect of his right. character. Right. You know, that, that, was, that was, you know, a long time in, in the regular series. Mm-hmm. Well, well um, you know, plus you build up the return of Bucky, that if you're going to do Winter Soldier, then, then have a little bit of buildup, because again... That was Cap's, as we're going to see, I think, by the stories that we're going to cover here, that was so much of Cap's character for so many years until Bucky really did return is this this longing and this feeling of incompleteness and that he had failed his partner. And that that ultimately plays into why I don't like Bucky being brought back, because that was Cap's that was such a big part of his psychological makeup to a certain degree. Bucky Barnes was captain America's uncle Ben that he didn't cause his death. It's not like he failed to do something, but in his own mind, he failed to save his partner. So it's almost an uncle Ben scenario. I liked that. I think that was one of the big drives of that character. What kept him going was. But so you think that could, be mm-hmm. somewhat of that was a little bit more of an Achilles heel that some villains tried to manipulate or use oh, against them. Yeah. yeah. You Very know, much I mean, so. you know, it, it was a motivator in a different way than the Uncle Ben, like you're saying, but also it, it was a slight weakness he had, you know, in, right. in, the, in his character. I mean, I mean, the, I mean, yeah, I guess he did feel the same guilt like Peter did, but on a different level. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so ultimately for me, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I'm sure that I'm really going to enjoy this second movie. It looks fantastic. But given my druthers, I, I'm with Paul. I would have loved to have seen a second movie that was, you know, there's so many other characters that they could use. They could have, you know, one, uh, two characters right off the bat that I can think of that I would love either one of them to be the bad guy would be either Baron Strucker or um, Zemo. I love Zemo. Zemo's mm. a friggin' awesome character. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see, and you mentioned it earlier. I would love to see them do the 1950s cap. Yeah, ha- have you know have some flashbacks or whatever, and and show how they tried to fill the, uh, you know, the, the the public relations gap by getting a new guy to take on the role. I would not be surprised if that's somewhere in the gutters of this movie that something like that because I saw something on. I think it was Yahoo News the other day, and I didn't click on it because I don't want spoilers. But it said something to the effect of blah, blah, blah about Winter Soldier sets up uh, uh, something about other, in quotes, other Captain America in Captain America 3 or something. And I'm like, at first I was like, what the hell are they talking about? And then, like I say, I I reread Cap 153 through 156 today which is the story of the other cap, the fifties the cap. And then once I read that story again, I'm like, I wonder if that's what that news story was about. So I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody because I don't know, but it just kind of in my mind, the pieces kind of fell together that maybe that's what they were talking about. Hell, I think that would be a great story to tell I because 
with this particular Captain America, the movie Captain America, there's even a, you know, this is the largest gap we've ever seen for Captain America because the original comic book cap, there was only a 20 year gap between the time he was lost and the time he was revived. And then with ultimates, it became, what was that? Like a 50 year gap or something like that. Now mm. we're even that much further ahead with this movie. Now it's 70 years. That's a long time mm -hmm. for this guy to have been out of action. And you would think that somewhere in that, because we've already seen with both Bruce Banner and Emil Blonsky that the government tried to recreate the, the super soldier serum at least twice with those guys. Right. So it's possible that at some other point in there and the fifties is a great point place to have tried to do it or maybe even the 60s like with vietnam that they tried again to recreate captain america and somewhere in some cryo tube somewhere maybe one of the tubes that we saw in the incredible hulk movie when ross took blonsky into that room maybe there's a 50s cap frozen somewhere that'll come back to to haunt and be part of some future you know captain america 3 or something I would love that. I think we, I think it's wishful thinking, though. I don't think they're going to do it. I do, but you know, I'm with you. I, I think it's wishful thinking, but hell, I would love it. Yeah, I absolutely. Would, I think that well, would be a lot of fun. I might have mentioned this on another podcast, and if I have, uh, forgive me for being repetitive. I think something's up with Robert Redford's character. I well, think... first of all, he needs a much better hairpiece than what he's wearing in there. <laughs> <laughs> all the money that man has made in the last 50 years, and that's what the hairpiece he wears? Come on, call Bill Shatner, find out where he gets his. Well, he, he looked like he'd been frozen in a block of ice and thawed out with a with an ice pick, too. What the hell is with him? I mean, I realize well, he's 115 years old, but Jesus, he can't get some Botox or something? It It wouldn't surprise me that he reveals, you know, that he's either the Red Skull, Baron Zemo. He's got to be somebody because I just can't see them getting such an actor to just ha have a one-off role. Or it's going to be shit, something dude, with, with if, the Secret Empire. What if Robert Redford is the is Captain cat. America? Yeah, that's what I was. That's that's what I was going to say. Oh Maybe my god, that would be cool. That would be very cool. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. You know, and like they have some standoff, you know, because he's still got a remnants of the Super Soldier formula, and he takes out Cap or something. I'm, I. I, I have no proof, nothing. I haven't seen anything. I'm purely speculation. On, Just on that. based on his looks alone, I, I think that's a valid theory. Because he's uh, I, you know he's he's got the blonde you know the the blonde haired is he blue eyed I think he is yeah but I mean he, he, he the you know the classic Aryan look or who knows? you know or he could be the Red Skull the Red Skull disappeared at the end of. Uh, uh, do we know yeah. if I, I thought I heard a rumor that um, that the skull was in? Well, plus the toys that are out right now are showing the Red Skull as part oh, really? of the Winter Soldier's uh, toy line. Ah, uh, see, now nah, I I didn't know that. See, I, again, I hope that's not a spoiler. But when things like that happen and line up like that, I can't help but think, "Ooh, does that mean he's in this?" Or is he just there because you know they want to sell he, an actor? Figure. Yeah, exactly. He's you know, they want yeah. to sell a figure, and he's a classic cat bad guy. I don't know, hmm. but I'm kind of hoping that we have not seen the last of the Red Skull. I don't know if it'll be Hugo Weaving again. Something I was reading somewhere said that Weaving was pissed off about Captain America for some reason. I I can't remember why or if it even said why, but there was some sort of falling out over the first movie. 
No, that really, I didn't hear if that. we see yeah, the skull again, it may not be him. That's that, that's what I've heard. I, I thought I he was no great idea. in the first movie. Oh, he was excellent. Yeah, I like him anyway. I mean, well, you know what's, what's funny guys. is I always pictured him, and he's too old for it, really. And and Tom Hiddleston was so great, I can't complain. But I kind of always pictured him as Loki. Yeah, yeah, mm. I think he would have made a great Loki. Yeah, you're right. Well. That's all I got. Yeah, that's all we all got. <laughs> uh, he just basically said he didn't want to reprise the role. I just did a quick search real quick. He said, played a Red Skull. Uh, said he doesn't want to reprise the character if he can avoid it. He acknowledged, however, that he signed a contract. And if he has to do so in either Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or Avengers 2, he would. So hmm. then there's another longer quote. But that's uh, basically the down and dirty on that. So I guess he's contractually obligated to do it one more time. Hmm. So we will see. Well, hopefully, we haven't seen the last of him. Then I would like to see. I would like to see this movie end on some kind of a cliffhanger. I would like to see it end with like the Red Skull coming back, because you know the thought is that that ultimately the Tesseract sent him through time and space, so he right. could, he could show up now in current day, not having aged because he went directly from where he was. He could end up in Guardians of the Galaxy, for all we know. I don't know if he's a fit for that, though. I mean, he's not really a cosmic character, even if he did have mm. the cosmic cube. But, but I, I, I would like to see, I would like to see almost that middle movie cliffhanger kind of thing. But I don't know how that plays into Avengers Two, unless they're going to have Cap Three before Avengers Two, which I don't think is going to be the case. Mm. No, I don't think so. My my impression was that they were all going to get a solo flick again before Avengers 2. And I don't think, off the top of my head, I don't think there's another Marvel flick between Guardians and Avengers 2, is there? Except maybe, maybe Ant-Man? Uh, I think Ant-Man is before Avengers, but I'm not 100% certain on it. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. So I think it's it's Cap, then Guardians, maybe one other, possibly Ant Man, and then Avengers, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. That's right. Yeah. Ant Man said, "Oh, well, no." Oh wait, you what? Yeah. Ant Man says July 2015. So this looks like it's after because there's an Avengers in uh, May. Is it? Uh, that's what IMDb, but that's you know, huh. it's not not the it's end tentative, of... but yeah, but I think that is the reported release date. So we're going to go Avengers from Guardians is... to Avengers then. Huh. Well, I'm good with it either way. I, all I know is I'm excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm going to take us off the Captain America bandwagon for just a minute because I was looking on, in, not on, in iTunes. And since the last time that I uh, indicated we had a, an iTunes review... We've gotten three more, uh, one in De- two in December and one in February, so that it's not really new. Uh, but Professor Allen on December 19th gave us five stars. It said, great format and great hosts. This is one of the most dependable, enjoyable shows on the Two True Freaks Network. You never know what, what you are going to get, but whether Scott is there or Paul is there or Dr. Bill is there or or whoever else may be there, the show is always a blast. Random comic book selections make for fun shows. The next, on December 26th, just as he was full of Christmas cheer, Tom Panarese 
uh, gave us five stars, saying, Consistently great and entertaining. I've been a long-time listener to Back to the Bin since Scott Gardner was hosting with Michael Bailey. And since then, there have been some changes in the on-air personalities, but the podcast keeps getting better and better. Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and the aforementioned Mr. Gardner provide some great commentary and appreciation for old comics and bring with them great, both great knowledge and great senses of humor. It's a mark of great comics podcast uh, that you will listen with rapt attention, even if you have no experience with the comics being talked about. And I find myself doing that with every episode. I cannot recommend this enough. And the final one is another five-star review from Mr. Mailman Dewey. I don't know who Mr. Mailman Dewey is, but I thank him. Uh, it's titled Funniest Show in Town. It's Paul, Bill, and Bill's cat are the funniest host you can find on the internet. They know their stuff and have a ball talking about comics. They are very informative and hilarious at the same time. There is another host, but he's not there very much. Probably because he's so busy with Tales of the JSA. Yeah, right. One day we might hear that other show. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, this is a great podcast that is produced perfectly and very professionally. Wait a minute. Are you sure you didn't put that on there? <laughs> I am not Mr. Mailman Dewey. But I appreciate the iTunes reviews and other people listening. Of course, I know you do want to give us five-star reviews, so go ahead. Come on. Get to it. Meow. <laughs> so you guys got nothing else to say? And good night. Leave it for me. Uh, so we're going to take a well, – actually, I guess we can take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I will begin synopsizing Avengers a, number 56. You need a pee TV? already? <laughs> no. <laughs> Captain America. He was a great character, and at that time, the world was concerned with the Nazis, and he was a freedom fighter against the Nazis. I don't know if I can do this. Nothing to it. Sell a few bonds, bonds buy bullets, bullets kill Nazis. Bing, bang, boom. And he was incredibly popular during those war years. After the war, his popularity waned. And Captain America stopped being published. I was doing the Avengers and I thought, why not bring back Captain America? Because he was such a great character. What made you so special? Nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. But then, I realized he had been in all those stories of World War II. We were trying to be realistic. So how could we in the 60s bring him back as a young fighting man? He'd be too old. So it occurred to me we would do a story where during the war, his plane had crashed somewhere in the north in a glacier. And in some ridiculous way, the ice had frozen him and kept him alive. And years later, decades later, some team that was exploring the area for some reason discovered this frozen human being in the cake of ice. They brought him out and they thawed him out and he came back to life. When we did the Avengers, more often than not, I had him as the fellow who was leading them. 
And we're back. Whoa! You clear that ladder? Clear as a bell. (laughs) Not as make any sense. (sighs) Just get back from the Bahamas. My trucker's buddy with me. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got? A lot lizard with you? Oh, never mind. Uh, Ah. (laughs) Anyway, the first book to cover tonight. Is going to be Avengers, the Avengers number fifty-six, publisher by Marvel Comics. Well, duh, all these books are going to be by Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cover date September nineteen sixty-eight. On sale July first, nineteen sixty-eight. Cover price twelve whole cents. Wow, that's a lot of money. Mm. Half of what Doctor Allen pays for a book. That's that's the inflation. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Our cover uh, penciler is John Buscema, and inker is Frank uh, Giacola. Did I say that right, Paul? Giacoya, I believe. Giacoya, Coya. Oh, yeah, there's no L. Yeah. My eyesight's bad. I'm old. On our cover, we have Captain America standing over the body of his fallen friend, Bucky Barnes, while the disembodied heads of Hawkeye, Giant Man, and the Black Panther look on. Or they would look on if anyone had bothered to draw eyes on their heads. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess the wasp might be on the cover. Perhaps she fell down a few times on the way and was dizzy and ended up under Hank's boot. I mean, Bucky's body. So, our story, Death Be Not Proud. Wait, wait, wait. Is it not me? Is it is it just me or does it really look like Cap is actually singing right here? I think he's got the spotlight and he's singing uh, "Hey Jude" myself. <laughs> it does look rather, yeah, because they've got the big yellow spotlight. He's you know, yep, yep. I th- I'm thinking "Send in the Clowns." No, no, no. "Hey Jude" was the top hit in 1968. He's belting out "Hey Jude." This is this is like Ed Sullivan right here. But he changed the words to "Hey, dude, hey, dude, don't be dead." <laughs> it's Peanut a bad Brown. drone. <laughs> Go get Zemo. Remember, he can't pull that mask off his skin. It's stuck there with adhesive. <laughs> oh, I can't hit that. I think I had a stroke. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I finally figured out my upper range of notes. That's not it. Anyway, our story, Death Be Not Proud. Writer, Roy Thomas. Penciler, John Buscema. Inker, George Klein. Letterer, Sam Rosen. And edited by Stan Lee. Scooby and the gang are outside a mysterious... Ca- oh, wait. No, no. Sorry. That's the Avengers. <laughs> our heroes have traveled here to a mysterious... At the bleh, mysterious request of Captain America. However... He is nowhere to be found. Hank, <laughs> paranoid, <laughs> suspects a trap. While Hawkeye asks, how could someone fake Cap's voice and password? Come on, like a little tech gizmo would work. And we all know Cap's password is I killed Bucky. Or it was little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Giant Man performs a fastball special with T'Challa well before there was a fastball special and hurls him over the castle wall, careening into the wall and dying. No, no, no. Once inside, he quickly makes haste and opens the access for the others. His keen eye, though, spots a mine in the entrance and prevents injury to the group. Once inside, our curious quartet search around. Again, the Black Panther senses detect movement behind a tapestry. They attack to find Old Man Smithers. No, wait, wait, wait. 
Sorry, no, it's just Captain America again. As Steve and T'Challa stroke each other's egos about their prowess, Hank asks, why were you hiding? Uh, uh, mm, uh, I wasn't hiding. I was deep in thought about Bucky. Yeah, yeah, I always stand behind musky old dark tapestries to help myself think. To, fer- to paraphrase uh, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson, I think Cap feels better in the dark. Cap tells him that he came here and called them because he still has doubts as to what happened to his partner Bucky. Hawkeye asks, who's Nutty Castle's this anyway? We find that this used to be Doctor Doom's castle way back in Fantastic Four number five, and it has a time machine. Nice that such technology is just left lying around. Reed Richards had told Cap about it a few days ago. Again, really Reed, you just leave a time machine in an abandoned castle in the middle of nowhere at night. The group decides that the boys will go back in time to see if uh, to see what happened, and Janet will stay behind to oversee the operation of the machine. If she fails, well, you know what will happen. <clears throat> Slap. They travel back. <laughs> Cap takes command, directing them to a nearby hangar. Note, they are also currently intangible and invisible, much like I am in my house when I say something to my wife and kids. <laughs> so they can't alter the timeline. What? I said, how old are they? Uh, Katie's 17. Sarah is three years old. Sarah would be... Carry the two. Oh, wait, she's three. Is she three years? Yeah, she's three years. She's 14. Oh, Ben might be 12. I don't know. Something like that. Cap hears a familiar voice. Holy crap, it's the Great Pumpkin. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just uh, Baron Zemo. He kind of scared me with that face. Zemo is sneaking into the hangar to steal an experimental drone plane to gain favor with Dafiora. He activates his hulking humanoid that grows to, and I had to look this up because I was like, is that really a word? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have never encountered this word. Brobdingnagian. Brobdingnagian? Brobdingnagian? Samanamanamana. Anybody going to jump in here? Just go let me hang. Thanks, guys. Walla Walla Big Bang. Shig Jang Walla Walla Bing Bang. Size. Oh, now I got off my notes. There we go. Probing. <laughs> Bro- See? Probing Negian. <laughs> yes, he activates his hulking humanoid that grows to Probing Negian size as See, fast as... What the as... hell is that? I've read <laughs> this book many word. times and I don't think I ever noticed that. <laughs> I came across that and went, that's not even a... That's something Stan made up. And it, it, is, it is... It's another word for gigantic. Why you just couldn't say gigantic? I don't know. Well, because he's the scientist supreme. (laughs) He grows to big honking size as fast as Hank could. At least that's what Hank said. The Avengers watch as Captain Bucky of this era crash into the room and take on Zemo. Take on Zemo. Take him on. on. Take. Stop singing. (laughs) That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted, Scott. I wanted to break you. Oh, he did that a long time ago, dude. <laughs> at least you said, at uh, least you didn't say you complete me, so that's good. <clears throat> they are wrapped up with Zemo's pet as Future Cap looks on, knowing the outcome. Zemo shoots a cap, and the shot is repelled back at Zemo. Unfortunately, this distracts Bucky, and he is taken out by the humanoid. Cap rushes over to check Bucky and is taken out for his troubles. Zemo stands triumphant over the two, but yet has the feeling that he is not alone. Zemo, in a bizarre game of dress-up, 
puts regular army clothes on the two heroes because of his scarred face. Right, that's what he's saying. The humanoid places the unconscious men on the drone plane to be flown back to Berlin as a prize for der Führer. At that exact moment in the future, Janet suddenly feels drowsy, most likely due to a head injury. I don't know where that could have happened, though. She activates a button on a control panel that, that in the past causes the Avengers to appear. Fighty McFightenstein and Snooze, copyright Andrew Leyland, and the Avengers battle Zemo plus a second humanoid. The battle alerts nearby army sentries, and they investigate only to get caught up, get caught up between Giant Man and a humanoid. Hawkeye and T'Challa are fighting the second, and finally, with Cap's help, take it down. Giant Man also takes his own foe down and then has a has to face a platoon of confused army men and how to explain why he is there. He doesn't have to worry long as he begins to vanish before the eyes of the soldiers. The others are also vanishing and in a last desperate act, Future Cap sends his shield towards the bonds of his past self. The ropes are cut and past Cap and Bucky are free to go after Zemo. Future Cap looks on as the final moments play out before him. He and Bucky head to the drone to stop it before it can launch. They leap aboard from a speeding motorcycle, and as the drone climbs, Cap loses his grip and plunges below while Bucky once again meets his fate. Future Cap leaps at Zemo, only the face through him giving the villain nothing more than a chill. The Avengers gather together as Cap realizes that, yes, Bucky did die, and he has to live with that fact. Before the soldiers can gather up the humanoids, though, Zemo destroys them and flees in a modified V-2 rocket. Back in the present, our heroes return to a worried wasp. The others sense Cap's mood and leave to let him think about his fallen friend. The end. And then this story was later continued on in Avengers... King Size Avengers, I believe, number two. Yep. Which I don't know if you guys had actually covered on another show. Uh, we talked about it, but I don't think we ever covered it. Oh, I think you guys, I was looking back in the archives, you guys had done oh, giant size Avengers that came in the middle of the Celestial Madonna stuff, I think, or that era, close to it. That was, I think, PP, uh, pre-Paul. <laughs> well, we did the giant size Avengers one was the first issue I ever covered as a oh, was it? Oh, co-host. Oh, well. Then it was just Paul. There was no after Paul or pre-Paul, it was just Paul. Yes. In the year of our Paul. It was New Paul. New Paul. RuPaul. As opposed to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, not going there. <laughs> Boy, no. that Baron, Baron Zemo. What a snappy dresser. I That's... love his outfit. Purple Wisdom is the skirt! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Is that a kilt? What is that? <laughs> I, I need the fur-lined boots. He's got the he's got the green boots with the yellow fur with the purple pants and the red belt and then the red uh, the 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 yellow V-neck co- high collar with the green shoulder pads and the Oh my god, what a fashion disaster. He he looks like he cobbled it together from like the super villain version of Goodwill or something. It, <laughs> it's just all just what uh, it's a big mishmash outfit. It's yeah. It's a it's a bizarre look. I see the Green look. Goblin has left a few things in the bin. Uh, <laughs> right. <just go> nicely. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, and I would have this nice silver horny crown, horny crown on my head. Yes, you are wonderful, wonderful. Oh, these boots are fantastic. See, I'm not sure what what to make of this issue because I love the story of the death of Bucky, 
but I can remember seeing this on the Marvel cartoon when I was a game you know, the the Captain. I, let me think. Yeah, it was the Captain America uh, section of the Marvel superheroes cartoon, the one that was all cobbled together from from different issues. And I'm not sure where they pulled those panels from. I, I don't think it was this because was that show still on the air in 68? I mean, was it pulling from from comics from 68? I think it was prior to that, which means that this story was told somewhere else prior to this issue. Is that right? As far as them, as far as them uh, being on the plane and Bucky, right. you know, not surviving it thing. Yeah, it, it had been told in small snippets. This is the first time they kind of expanded on a little bit. This whole right. thing with these humanoid things that that was new. See, I think this is Roy Thomas's attempt to explain why were Cap and Bucky in army fatigues as opposed to their costumes? Why was mm. was Cap dressed that way when the Avengers found him in, in Avengers number four and all that? And God bless Roy Thomas. I, I, I love that he is concerned with these things, but that's one of those things that I, you know, I never really needed an explanation. I didn't really care why, why cap was in an, uh, an army uniform as opposed to his captain America outfit. He just, well, you know, I just took it that, well, he was, and there must've been a reason for it. And yeah, here he Baron gives Zemo's, us, uh, yeah. Cause Baron Zemo's a little freaky. <laughs> I guess. Right. But why, why did Baron Zemo put his shield on his back too? Yeah, exactly. Underneath that uniform, why you know we must give him the shield. <laughs> it wasn't even on his back. It was at, it was on his stomach, wasn't it? I thought it was they, on his stomach. Uh, uh, on his stomach. I'm not sure. When they now I, him now, out, now I have. I will bring the Fury Amen, the Captain America figure. <laughs> <laughs> when they thaw him out of the of the block of ice on the Avengers sub, which by the way, did we ever see that sub before or since? But when they thaw him out on the table. His his uniform's all tattered and torn, and and I think his shield is on his chest. I think, mm. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read it, but I I think that was the case with that. I mean, again, I I like the idea that he's he's explaining everything, but strangely, it, it's the actual intervention of the Avengers where they briefly become tangible is one of the elements I actually don't like in this story. I, I think the story works much better where they're just intangible wraiths that are kind of, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, a Christmas carol where they're, you know, they can just observe, but you know, these are, these are the shades of what has been and they can't actually interfere. But in this one, because <laughs> because the wasp just falls asleep with the controls. I'm telling you, she had a concussion. Now that reminds that reminds me though of. Uh, I mean, I'm showing my age here, uh, which I do a lot. But do you remember the old Abbott and Costello TV show? Back in the yeah. 1950s. I mean, obviously, I wasn't around when it was on, but but I watched it many many times. It's one of my favorite shows. And there's an episode in there, you know, Lou, Lou is dating Hillary Brooks from across the hall. And her father comes over to see if she's dating some somebody who's worthy, excuse me. So uh, they try to say that he, can, he sings opera. So Bud Abbott is sitting behind the piano with a record player. And when he asks for a song, Bud puts on the record so that, and, and Lou lip syncs so that he... 
looks like he's singing. But then while he's doing it, Bud falls asleep and doesn't turn off the record when he's supposed to. And the whole thing is that, like, like this guy can't stay up for ten freaking minutes to help Lou out. He's got to fall asleep behind the freaking piano. And I'm thinking the same thing with the wasp. She's sitting there. She's given one thing to do. And what does she do? She, not only does she fall asleep, but she presses the button while she's asleep. <laughs> well, see, I thought this was going to play into something. Because while they're in the past, it cuts to this one panel that says, and at that precise instant, precise instant in a parallel time continuum, I'm like, um, no, Roy, I don't think you're understanding how this whole thing <laughs> yeah, works. <I> know. <laughs> um, and then she goes, what's wrong with me? Can't uh... fight off this sudden feeling of drowsiness. And she falls asleep and presses the button. Now, I thought, like... She was being gassed by a supervillain or like like this would play out somehow. No, nope. well, at the end of the story, when they come back, she basically has a moment where she's like, oh, thank God that they'll never know that I just fell asleep at the control. I'm like, what? Like you're a sleep woman. Because Hank's going to hit her again. She admits at the very end of the story in this thought balloon that, uh, oh, gee, you know, I, I could have killed yeah. everybody. And I'm going to go out on a limb. And do we think that somewhere I don't I don't know. Do, do you think something does Roy Thomas pulls something out of his butt years later and say that Amortis did this? Made her fall asleep. I, th- I think I think it actually ties in. It's been so long since I read it, but I think it ties into that King Size Avengers number two. Hmm. And I think I think there's something go, that goes on there that may, you know that causes her to go to sleep. Oh, okay. It's I mean, not I that she's to just think a... that there was something more involved in her just being that irresponsible. But, I mean, click <laughs> was not you know that the that the female characters were often drawn you know uh, written to be you know very unflattering you know it, it, during this period, but still that's just ridiculous. Well, they're sexist, too, because he's, uh, you know, Hank's like, uh, all right, you're going to stay here and you're going to operate the machine if you know what's good for you. I mean, uh, um, the... <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to meet Mr. Fist again. Come on. Well, we'll look at the panel because he's pointing down at the machine. He, he, he's, he's giant size. He, he, and she's she's tiny sitting there. But if you fail, you may well place all of us in mortal jeopardy. And, and, and it's the silent unsaid, including yourself. Poor pushing in her. I, I, I won't fail, Hank. I promise you. Uh, how can I be careless with your very lives at stake and my own? <laughs> Poor woman. Poor beleaguered woman. Hank Pym, you bastard. And why would they build the button to make them tangible right into the hand grip? <laughs> what the heck? What are they thinking? Now they why did would you have the tangibility that... button anyway? They did. They addressed that at some point that uh, Reed Richards made modifications to Doom's time machine. Oh, you that, mean the one that he just left in the castle, unguarded, yes. unprotected? Well, you know. Yeah. But, but like, the modifications would allow them to view history but not affect it, and, you know, with the intangibility. But I guess there's a big red button that says tangible on it. Okay, and, and uh, can it, why, why, why was Cap behind that tapestry? <laughs> he was probably I was just a whiz. deep thought. Yeah, I, 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 I maybe he was blowing to... his nose or something. You know, maybe he just had nowhere else to stand behind a tapestry. He, he'd just been eating 
<laughs> You've just been eating chicken wings. I mean, come on, we've all done it. We're guys. Oh, he's, he's rubbing his face on the tapestry. There you, you know, go. He's getting, he's getting so is, hundred hundred year old dust and mold on his face. <laughs> so yeah. is this Latveria then? No, is this the one that was in upstate New York? Remember uh, the one that uh, was all... Oh, yes, we have castles all over upstate New York, right? <laughs> Didn't you grow up in one? I, <laughs> yeah. Is it Chris Honeywell going to be broadcasting out of out of one? Oh, at a radio geez. station? <laughs> Don't get me started. Oh, good no, lord. No, this is probably the same castle along the string of castles that uh, the guys from the Fantastic Cast covered with in Strange Tales. <laughs> The villain always seemed to have a castle up in New York. This is probably it's it's got a rolling rent on it, you know. Give me it's... a break. Well, maybe all right. I'm gonna attempt to no prize this, although yeah, it, it is ridiculous. Yes, this this time machine is seemingly just sitting here in this abandoned castle. Now I'm wondering how many kids that snuck into this castle to like you know, fool around or smoke dope or whatever are now lost forever in the time stream. <laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking that maybe one of the modifications that Reed Richards made was like maybe like a passcode or you have to put in a pin number or something. You no, know, no, it's just app. a big red button <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the hand grip. <laughs> the shiny red button. The candy Must like button. touch button as falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been better as if she had fallen over and hit her head on the button. <laughs> but that—that's, I mean, that is kind of a obviously just a uh, plot device to 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 bring the story along, which has no real common sense to it otherwise. <laughs> I do like that Bucky is smiling at the end. I like that this story doesn't seem to leave a lot of room for for you know interpretation or or tomfoolery with the fact that yep Bucky was blowed up real good. Well, actually, it's twice, I guess, Steve's fault because future Steve. Um, well, no, because they were strapped to the drone. So wait a minute, they were strapped to the drone. He threw the shield, released them. Oh, then he launched the drone, and then they tried to get back to the drone, which they were already strapped to to begin with. So, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. He shouldn't have uh, released himself. Then they just would have probably gotten to uh, Berlin, and they could have fought Hitler and got away. But no, it's Steve Rogers' fault twice over now. Hmm. Put that in your shield and smoke it. (laughs) (laughs) Zemo, he looks so angry. Of course, if I had to breathe through a plastic bag, I'd probably look angry, too. I always thought it looked kind of like a dish towel. Yeah. (laughs) An unfortunate dish towel fell on his face. That's a piece of X was dropped on it. Oh, crap! But at least he's got, like, a cool tiara around it. (laughs) (laughs) He's going for the Luke Cage look. Before Luke Cage was a thing. (laughs) <laughs> well that's all i got how about those hulking humanoids well i i just uh never to be seen again yeah well they, they look like uh what was the growing man from kang the growing man yeah the 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 punisher yeah, yeah oh, from from uh galactus uh, uh yeah yeah not frank castle <laughs> no 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 didn't kang have no kang had the growing man who had the growing 
Kang, Kang had something man. like the Kang was a growing man. Yeah, and Galactus had the Punisher, who just like would punch the thing really fast. <laughs> but I, I just I would just also say uh, I like John Buscema art, mm-hmm. except for the fact that he doesn't seem to feel the need to draw pupils very often. <laughs> you mean like on the cover? <laughs> yeah, like on the cover when Cap is singing his aria. Ave Maria. But Buscema just had, he had a real nice, clean style. Uh, you know, his, his storytelling was, I think, impeccable. Uh, and and just overall, you know, moody, especially the, the splash page. Uh, the opening you know, shot with the castle? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's somewhat Jim Steranko inspired because he started basically taking the Will Eisner technique of putting the title into, you know, into mm-hmm. the drawing itself. Yeah, because it's written, those of you who don't have the book, it's it's written into the side of the bridge that they're on that's over like a river perhaps. And it's actually canted at like a uh, like a 45 degree angle. And they're standing on it and looming over them is the castle in the darkness with dark clouds in the sky. I'm not really very familiar with George Klein, who was the anchor on this, but I'm thinking he did a real nice job. Except he could have added pupils. <laughs> well, yeah, on the cover, though, because everybody's got white in their masks, except for Steve, who has pink. So it makes it look like he has no eyes. <laughs> well, maybe he's blinking. You know, that happens. You take he's got his eyes sometimes. closed. <laughs> I told you, they, he's belting out a tune. They snapped it right, right when he closed his eyes. And we got to see we got to see the fastball special before it had a name. Before it had a name, T'Challa calls his. Uh, now, if my human catapult will be so kind as to go into action, you know, T'Challa, whew, slam right into the wall. Pow! Oops. Sorry, I'm used <laughs> to hitting things. <laughs> I, I really don't understand the whole. You know, Cap has to make it a big mystery thing. Besides the fact that he's hiding in tapestries, but why didn't he just call him and tell him what he's doing? What would it take? Like two minutes? <laughs> I don't know. We wouldn't have an interesting three-page uh, setup at the start of the book to burn off some t- some time and some panels. I think this is the. I think it came about it in, in the Marvel method of storytelling here. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if, as John Buscema drew it, if he had different thoughts in mind than what Roy actually scripted, mm-hmm. as far as why Cap was hiding and whatever. Well, I mean, if I invited you over to my house and it was lined outside with mines, I think I, I think the polite thing to do would be to inform you of that. Oh, by the way, watch out for the mines. All right, you might want to come <laughs> in like the back door or something. Yeah. Plus, Cap doesn't even open the door. They they have to find a way to get in. They got to dodge mines, <laughs> and they got to find them behind a tapestry. I'm telling you, there was they were plotting something else here. You know, I don't know. This was like an intricate game of hide and go seek. Maybe this is Avengers hide and go seek. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, a little silly, but otherwise, I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess I have the second chronological issue. And I picked Invaders number 26, which uh, is dated March of 1978. It has a $0.35 cent cover price, so almost three times what your book cost. And the cover is drawn by Gil Kane, Gil Kane and also inked by Frank Giacoya. 
And it shows Bucky aggressively coming at the Phantom Stranger, who is shooting at him. Oh, wait a minute. No. The Phantom Stranger. <laughs> no, that's... He's not shooting at him. They're really... Somebody needs to Photoshop some brain splatter right there with Bucky because he's being <laughs> shot right in the face. Okay, so... Yeah, the shadow is shooting right at Bucky. <laughs> what? Agent Axis? What? Oh, apparently some guy named Agent Axis, who, Axis who's pretending to be the Phantom Stranger in the shadow, <laughs> is shooting at Bucky from point-blank range and impossibly what? missing him. Luckily, Bucky had that steel plate put in his head back in, uh, <laughs> yeah, back in early, back in basic training. Well, no, but if, if you look, it, it isn't even aimed right at him. It's kind of aimed off to the side. So he's proving that uh, even a blind hand solo has better aim than him. And uh, while this <laughs> well, is going too on, busy trying to hold his cloak closed. I'm cold. <laughs> while this is going on, the senior members of the Invaders, Captain America, the Submariner, Submariner, and the original Human Torch, are symbolically looking on and rooting him on. Uh, the story is titled Day of Infamy, Day of Shame, and it's written and edited by Roy Thomas, drawn by Frank Robbins and Frank Spring Springer, color is by R. or G. Russos, lettered by Joe Rosen, and Archie Goodwin was the consulting editor. It's 1942, and we open with Bucky looking for a Dr. Sabuki because Toro, the Torch's boy sidekick, has been shot, and only Dr. Sabuki is skilled enough to save his life. Aren't we Problem... looking, for a law, all looking for a little Sabuki? <laughs> oh, sorry. Looking for Sabuki in all the wrong places. <laughs> looking for Sabuki in too many faces. <laughs> So the problem is it's 1942, and shockingly, Dr. Sabuki is Japanese. So when Bucky gets to his house, he's not there, and the house has been vandalized. Bucky doesn't have time to waste, so he takes Toro to the closest hospital, and the doctor there tells Bucky that no one, including Dr. Sabuki, could remove the bullet without killing him. And he's ready to, just as he's ready to give up, a nurse approaches him and says, Psst, the doctor is just a jealous racist asshole. And Dr. Sabuki is the shizzle. So she tells him that Dr. Sabuki is at a relocation center, and off he goes. When he gets there, he sees the CO of the base, Hammerhead, who is a stereotypical... What, that's not Hammerhead? <laughs> that's Hammerhead's dad. Oh, okay. Hammerhead Sr., who is a stereotypical, overzealous, racist... American patriot who isn't going to let some lousy Jap doctor operate on a real American. Bucky gets mad and the CO orders Bucky to be thrown off the base. Bucky makes quick work of the MPs and heads off to find the doctor. At this point, we join the adult members of the Invaders, Captain America, Submariner, Human Torch, Union Jack, and Spitfire in London, where they're returning from fighting the Scarlet Scarab in Egypt. One of Union Jack's friends has now assumed the identity of the Mighty Destroyer, which apparently was Union Jack's former identity as well. We have some uh, anxiety, introspective moments uh, with the Torch, who's worried about Toro, and the scene ends with our heroes headed for California to rendezvous with Bucky and, the, uh, and Toro. So we cut back to Bucky, who has found Dr. Sabuki and his daughter, uh, where they're living fairly comfortably in the relocation center due to the generosity of the fellow detainees. 
The doctor agrees to help when suddenly a burrowing machine burrows up through the ground, letting off three costume thugs. And based on their manner of speech, we know that they're a German, a Japanese, and an Italian. Hey, I don't like this Italian stuff in it, but I guess, you know, World War II. Anyway, they're yeah, there to we, retrieve... We came before summer spaghetti. <laughs> they're there to retrieve Dr. Sabuki, and Bucky battles the men and manages to remove the doctor, but he's confronted by Agent Access, who... Access, I keep saying Access who is apparently three personalities merged into one with the strength of three men. Of course, Bucky just beat three men, so I don't really see why that should make a difference, but he tosses Bucky against a wall and knocks him out. And so the three agents take the doctor, his daughter, and the lifeless uh, body of Bucky into the burrowing machine and depart. And the story ends with images of the unconscious Bucky and Agent Axis, Axis, <laughs> and the dying Toro, and the story is to be continued. So it's basically a Bucky highlight uh, hmm. show. Right. Uh, we've talked in the past, you and I, Scott, and I don't know, if Bill, if you've been involved in this at all, about uh, Frank Robbins. And I have a warm, nostalgic spot for Frank Robbins and his work on The Invaders and some of the other Marvel work he did. But... I find it hard to defend this particular issue as far as the artwork goes. Okay, I was I was wondering where you're going with that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're gonna have a little disagreement here. Yeah, no, it's you know, like I said, I I, I still have a little nostalgia for it, but I can't argue that it's good. <laughs> Not in this one. I I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> well, uh, p- page sixteen, where uh, um. The Human Torch, Union Jack, and Captain America t- turn their he- heads around. You know, they got the speed lights. It's like, huh? 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 But <laughs> their heads just look really freaking, I-, I don't know. It's just really weird, off-putting. You see the one yeah, I'm talking about? A man or something right there, the way his head's <laughs> turning around. Yeah. It's like somebody snapped their neck. Well, everybody's got this, like, bouffant hair, too. What What the hell is with this? <laughs> Like the human, <laughs> look at the Human Torch's hair. It he looks, he looks like uh, Michael York in Logan's Run or something with that hair. It's like, <laughs> whoa, what the what the hell is with your hair, dude? And then, and, yeah, uh, not only is the 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 army whatever he's supposed to be general or whatever the camp got hammerhead, but. What, what the hell is with Namor? You, yeah, you, could, a, you could put a tray of hors d'oeuvres on top of that head. It's it's completely look at his flat. Ears. His, his ears go almost all the way up to the height of his hair. <laughs> and, 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 and the sides of the head are sharp. You could cut your hand yeah. on them. <laughs> Ow. You, know, you, could, you could take that word balloon at the bottom of page 16 and then change it to fascinating, Captain, and it would work just as well right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually it wouldn't because I'd say, man, he draws a bad Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody looks like they're striking a pose or they're falling. Yep. I love how all the people in the internment camp are in Japanese robes. Most of them. Well, you know, for at a, least for an in for an issue that's that's you know really beating you over the head with the fact of. Oh, this was a terrible thing we did to these poor people. What a bunch of racist dickheads we were back in the 40s and everything. 
Yeah, you know, they're not helping their cause much by when, you know, when Bucky actually does go amongst the people in the internment camp, they're all drawn in the most offensive (laughs) racial stereotyped ways with, you know, they're eating rice and they're wearing kimonos and robes and they have chopsticks in their hair and it's like, (laughs) you got Mr. Miyagi, what the hell is he doing washing his feet or something? And it's like, um, your message is being drowned out by your blatant racism in the <laughs> depictions here. So, yeah, nice try, but no. But the message no, is so heavy-handed, so. too. I hate it. I, I'm just going to be completely honest, without beating a, a dead horse, because I know I went on this same tirade when Roy Thomas, this must be one of his press button issues because he did the same damn thing a few years later in um, All-Star Squadron. He did an issue about, um, you know, talking about the internment camps and, you know, the, the fact that Japanese Americans were rounded up and everything. And it was just as heavy handed and preachy in that. And like I said, I, I don't want to go on the same thing again because I took a lot of flack for it. But bottom line is I'm not a fan of looking back on these types of things with a modern sensibility and, and trying to uh, apply some sort of standards you know, from today to what happened back then. It, it's just it, it was what it was. And you can argue it was horrible. You can argue it had merit, whatever. But, it, it, you know, it happened the way it happened. And I don't think for the, you know, for the most part that the people that were behind those decisions, I don't think they did it out of any sort of racial hatred. They did it because they thought it was the right thing to do in the defense of the country. And I think in both instances, both with this particular issue of invaders and when he did it again and and addressed the issue in All-Star Squadron, I think both times he was trying to approach it as if it was some sort of racial issue where obviously race was a factor, but not in a race hatred kind of way, more of in a way of, well, this is the face of our enemy. So these people that have this face, unfortunately they're going to have to go here until the war is over. I I honestly think it was nothing more than that. And he's trying to apply and, and say something more about it than actually was part of the situation. And on a, on a certain level, I appreciate that. But on another level, I'm like, dude, don't preach at me about it. You know, it's I, I, I just when it comes to my funny books, that's not really something I, I want to to hear about or be mad about, you know. So I, I get what he was going for. But for me personally, the whole thing just it annoys more than anything else. Well, also, you know. I think there's this tendency to treat. uh the det- detainment camps of the Japanese prisoners, and and I accept that it was a wrong thing. Don't you know? I'm not going to try and argue that they should have done it, but I think they try and make it equal to what was going on in the concentration camps in Germany, and say, "Oh, see, we did, we were doing the same thing." Right. But the last I checked, we weren't gassing the Japanese prisoners. No, we weren't killing them. We weren't experimenting so, on them. So you know you. I, I think trying to make them into the same thing is, is just it's almost like self hating Americans and, and, and I don't like right. that. That bothers no, I, me. No, I don't. I'm not saying that they were right to put those people in internment camps. It was I'm 
you know, it was, it was an overreaction. But, you know, they weren't subjected to the cruelties that the Jewish people in, in the concentration camps were. And, and right. it, you know, it shouldn't be treated as the same thing. So, you know, and I don't want to get on a, too much of a soapbox with that. But, you know, it, it that bothers me a little bit when, it, when you know, when, when we have to get so into the apologies that, that we start acting as if, you know, I, I'm taking it too far in my mind. I can't even put together an argument that's not going to uh, give us view, listener mail. <laughs> and I don't want right. to inspire that. But no, I agree with you, though. But no, I, I agree with you. It's probably, as, you know, the last said about it, the better. Because no, believe me, I caught all kinds of hell about this when we talked about it on uh, Tales of the Justice Society of America. But but no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that you're, you're trying to apply a, a, a modern-day politically correct sensibility to something that it does not apply to. And personally, in in my own mind, the idea has a certain merit that when, again, when you have an enemy that has a face to us, to us, at least to the people of the time, it, it made a certain level of sense that this was something that they felt they had to do in the defense of the country and right or wrong. That was the decision that they made. And I'm sure at the time there were dissenters, you know, there were people that, that didn't agree that didn't think it was the right thing to do or whatever. But in this, rather than have Bucky be the, the sole voice of, you know, being the sole person that's like, gee, I really don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this. I wish we weren't doing this. It's basically everybody that's going along with it feels the same way, like, gee, this is the not, not the right thing to do. And instead of the one guy that feels it is the right thing to do, being like having regrets or having a, a little sense of, we know this isn't the nicest thing to do, but it's for the sake of the country. No, he's a flat-out racist. <laughs> and so you have these two extremes. There's no middle ground here. Which is, I'm sure, where most of the people that were involved in the actual interring of these people probably were in that middle ground. May not have loved the idea, but this is what's best for our country, so we all have to get behind Uncle Sam and do what what needs to be done. I'm sure that that's more than likely how it actually was. And to portray it this way, I just think is an insult. Historically, I think it's an insult to to all parties involved that actually live through the damn thing. I, but I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's just how I feel about it. But again, probably the less said, the better. Now that we The other thing I'm, I'm thinking, and I don't know from a historical point of view on this, so I'm, I'm just thinking out loud. Please, nobody get mad at me. <laughs> but Im- immigration from other countries seems to, and again, I don't have a historical base for this, just, just a sense, seems to have come in waves. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like people came from Italy in waves, then people would come from Ireland in waves, and people would come from other countries in waves. And that, that almost seems like the way that they managed to kind of set themselves up in, in the same neighborhoods and things, because they were all coming over at the same time. And as the area was developing, they, they you know, that's what would become an Italian neighborhood or an Irish neighborhood, and so on and so forth. And I'm wondering if the Japanese immigration wave was not that long before World War II. Which would give people more of a feeling of right or wrong that these people aren't 
Americans, they're Japanese people because they were born in that country and then they came over here. You know, I, I could see where that would feed a sense of paranoia. Right. Just and, bad timing. Basically. But I don't know, again, yeah, and I don't know historically if that's accurate or not. I don't know if, if the wave of Japanese immigrants, you know, the larger, larger portion of it was, you know, shortly before World War II or if, if it, you know, the two were totally unrelated. I don't know. Yeah, but I could, I, I could see where that would feed into the paranoia. Yeah, I, I don't know that either. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try to, to research that and find out, you know, did was there a wave just, you know, coming in just prior to the outbreak of, of World War II? Maybe they were they were fleeing their homeland in, in anticipation of the war or something. I honest, Honestly, I, I'll admit I have no idea. That's, that's a blind spot to, to me. Actually, to uh, me being the actual person that's working on a history degree i just did a quick quick search while you guys were talking it doesn't look like there was a big surge before that because it's like most uh, a lot of japanese immigration what i'm reading here real quick started uh it's like a lot of it was around the gold rush in so the, the 1800s 18- yeah and then there was actually they had started and then there was another wave uh see i always thought that was chinese though mm-hmm. but maybe it was both i'm not i'm not sure well, the it, only reason it was, i thought if we're huh? the the gold rush, then we'd be looking at second and third generation, right? You know, immigrants, and that's you know, uh, you know, I I have sympathy for those people put into into these internment camps. They're taken from their homes. I'm sure they weren't put in the most, you know, comfortable, luxurious of of, you know, situations. I I do have sympathy for them, but I also understand, you know, there was this wave of patriotism the like of which I don't think we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And, right. and, and that also had a, had a streak of, uh, what is it? Xenophobia. Actually, is that the right word? Yeah. Oh, it looks absolutely. like starting in the early 1900s up until just before the war, there was a steady limiting of Japanese immigration. Uh, 1907, uh, there was an agreement between the United States and Japan results in Japan, ending the issuance passports for new laborers there was the Californian Alien Law Act of 1913, banning Japanese from purchasing land. Whites threatened by Japanese success in independent farming ventures. And in 1924, the Immigration Act of 1924 banned immigration from Japan. Hmm. So I think, you know, and here this may, I think that some European immigrants in my opinion, again, this is my opinion. Send all hate mail to Bill Robinson, care of back at Vince. Um, no, no, no. Th- Send it directly to his house, please. <laughs> that a lot of European immigrants had an easier time because the majority of the people that already lived in the country were of European descent. So, right. therefore, we they all looked alike, even if they could not speak the same language. There was right. not as big as a visual difference. And a lot of times... People do not tend to like things that are different, and Asians look different from Europeans. It's a fact of life, and a lot of that creates resentment. Doesn't mean I'm not saying it's right. I'm just stating it as a fact, as a possible reason why Japanese had such a hard time and why they were. Because I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there, I, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. I think there was some German Americans that were suspected. Um, and targeted, but not to the extent that the Japanese were. Right, yeah. They they had a name, too, and I'm trying to remember what it was. We covered this on, on Tales. I forget what they were called. 
But the only reason that they didn't wind up in some sort of version of an internment camp is how the hell would you know? Exactly. See, that's the thing with this. Yeah, is so you, you could pick out an Asian. Exactly, oh, yeah, well, that, that, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I say, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't trying to, to make some sort of racial comment by saying that it's just when your enemy has a particular face, it's that much easier to to round up the folks here that you're, you're trying to protect the country. So you're like, all right, well, everybody that has this face is a potential, right. you know, uh, sympathizer or saboteur or whatever. So we're going to round that group. Yeah. It, Right or wrong, I, I just think that that was the reasoning behind it. If they could right. have done that with Germans that they might have suspected were were sympathetic or potential saboteur, I'm sure they would have done that too. But how the hell do you do that? You know, when yeah. so much of the rest of everyone else, I mean, what does German look like? You know, so they couldn't really do that. But those people, Bundes, was that what it was called? That, that word mm. just popped into my head. Is I that think when, that's... when somebody jo's, grows to giant proportions? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it was, uh, Bundes was like a, it was like a movement or something of German Americans that were sympathetic to the Nazi cause. I may not have the right word, but it's something to that effect. And again, I'm sure that back in the 40s, if there had been a way to round up and inter these people, they'd have done it with them too. Hell, they may have, for all I know, but they couldn't, clearly they couldn't get all of them because, you know, you could be a German and still walk amongst everybody else. During this particular time, you couldn't necessarily be of, a, you know, of obvious Asian descent and walk amongst everybody else. It just didn't work that way. So that's why these things were done. And I'm just, I'm not so much debating the right or wrong of it. I'm debating the fact that I don't like this portrayal that it was done for, for this particular reason or that everybody that, that did it, that was actually behind it was an asshole about it. Like the, the guy running the camp here, you know, I, I just, that, that bothers me because I'm, I'm sure that that wasn't the case. I mean, sure. There probably were people, you know, that, that, were like him that were like, yeah, lousy Japs and just wanted to, you know, that, that they had their own ax to grind. But I, I have trouble believing that that's the motivator for everybody. I just don't. I think like you said, Paul, that there was a, a, an outpouring of patriotism and national spirit and what we had to do to win the war. And sometimes the things that you have to do to win a war are not pleasant things. Something that I think we've forgotten in our modern warfare you know as americans that you know we want to fight our modern wars with simultaneously dropping bombs and you know bags of candy on our enemy it's like what what the <laughs> hell you know you, you win the war first before you want to make no pets. no no see actually you drop the candy first you get every all the kids that run out the adults chase them and then you drop the bombs <laughs> whoops i'm sorry did i say that out loud <laughs> Well, anyway, we're we're headed down a potentially uh, dark road here. So. Oh, it's it's very it was, dark already. It, <laughs> we've been we've been walking down that road quietly for the last <laughs> half an hour. It was the Bund. It was German American Bund, B U N D, or the German American yeah. Federation, uh, which yeah. is an American Nazi organization established in 1936 to exceed 
Friends of New Germany. Yep. <laughs> Which, now that I've looked up German Bund and Japanese internment, I'm sure I've just popped up on a watch list. Dude, you've been on that watch list for some time now. I was on that watch list as soon as I left the military. <laughs> we gotta watch this guy. He knows too much. Or he doesn't or he didn't or he knows nothing. Either way, he's scary. Oh, uh, so uh, wow, this this conversation has gone weird places. So we got one book left. Oh wait, I had one more note. One more note. That that lovely nurse that talks to Bucky, is that not Catherine Hepburn from On Golden Pond? <laughs> you old poop! <laughs> oh, you beat me to that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to see Doctor Spooky. <laughs> All right, is it my turn? Yes, <laughs> please. All right, last book of the evening. This is Captain America number 281. This is the May 1983 cover dated issue. This was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, February 1st, 1983. Original cover price on this one was 60 cents. Cover on this is awesome. It's by Mike Zek, inked by John Beatty. Now, these are also the guys that handle the uh, beautiful interiors on this book. The cover depicts uh, Captain America and Bucky literally like leaping off uh, a, a black and white uh, piece of film showing like a, like a newsreel in the background. It's just great. So much great cover copy here. You've got, this is when the Captain America logo at the top of the book also had uh, a star that was a picture of Cap leaping. But what's really cool is there's another star on the other side that has, of all people, Spider-Woman. And then at the bottom, you've got uh, it says plus the defenders of World War Two. It says it says a uh, star-studded, action-packed extravaganza featuring Bucky, Spider Woman, the Viper, and the Constrictor. So a lot of stuff going on in this cover. I really, really like the cover of this book. This is written by uh, J. M. DeMatteis, and the title of this one is Before the Fall. We open to a gorgeous black and white title splash page of our heroes leaping into action before our nation's capital in order to thwart subversive militarists. The day and President Roosevelt's life are saved in the legend of Captain America and Bucky, we are assured, will endure forever. This, of course, is vintage footage being shown in a Greenwich Village movie house as part of a presentation of classic newsreels. Among those in the audience are Bernie Rosenthal and her boyfriend, Steve Rogers, Captain America himself. Bernie is thrilled by the footage, having now had a chance to see her man in action in his heyday of World War II. But she quickly realizes that Steve is troubled by the sight of his friend and long-dead partner, Bucky Barnes. Steve has promised not to dwell in the past, though, and tells Bernie that they should go home and concentrate on today. And us, he says. Back in the theater, one of the ushers tells a shadowy young man that he must move along. I'd be glad to, said the, says the mysterious youth, but do you think you could tell me just where it is I'm supposed to move along to? With that, the man does exit the movie house, though, and is stunned when he happens to catch sight of Steve Rogers' profile. 
My God, he thinks to himself, it's him. It's really him. We are then treated to... Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. (laughs) You're just going to gloss right over what happens to the panel before that? Oh, where she steps in dog shit? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I am. That's how he catches up to them. (laughs) Because she's cleaning uh, dog poo off her foot. (laughs) We are... She's got a very hands-on way of removing it, too. Yeah, Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Like, lady, scrape your foot on a curb and just move on, right? <laughs> I'm not holding hands with you after that. I know. She's going to take a new... Good night, Steve. Let me reach up and touch your face. Woman, get the hell away from me. No. <laughs> we are then treated to uh, several pages of one slinky, sexy spider woman fighting snakes, which uh, doesn't seem to have anything to do with this particular issue, so I really didn't bother to uh, synopsize any of that. And then, why did it have to be snakes? It's <laughs> big snakes. And then it's back to Bernie's apartment, where the couple are interrupted by a knock at the door just as things were starting to get kind of hot and heavy between the two of them. Uh, Steve heads to the door and he starts to ask, who could it be at this hour, but freezes when he opens the door to a sight that shouldn't be possible. Um, hiya, Cap, says the young man from the theater. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. The face staring back at Steve Rogers... Uh, let me start that again. The face staring back at Steve Rog Steve Rogers. Why can't I say that tonight? The face staring back at Steve Rogers red, red, is red. one that has haunted him for 40 years. A little older, perhaps, minus some baby fat, but essentially unchanged. Two dozen thoughts, two dozen potential reactions scatter through Steve's mind. But the one that finds expression and the reason, gentle listener, that I love this issue is savage, uncontrollable rage. Grunting, animal-like, Rogers reaches out and grabs the apple-cheeked youth by the collar and slams him mercilessly to the floor. I'm only going to say this once, punk. Who are you? I'm who you think I am. I'm Bucky. Rogers proceeds to mop the floor and walls with the boy, slamming him repeatedly and demanding to know who he is. He will not see the memory of Bucky Barnes desecrated again. Bucky Barnes, says the youth. Uh, says the youth. No, you've got it all wrong. I didn't want you to think I was Bucky Barnes. I'm the other one, Cap. I'm the Bucky of the 1950s. Uh, note, he said that through broken teeth, that through... So you see, dear listener, after Captain America disappeared after the end of, uh, or at the end, rather, of World War II, our government commissioned the creation of a new Captain America. Using as much of the same technique and formula that created the super soldier as still existed, a new Cap was created. Unfortunately, by the time this one was ready... The Korean conflict had just ended and America no longer really had need of him anymore. And so the new Cap, who was a man surgically altered to essentially be Steve Rogers, took a job as a school teacher where he met a young lad who was equally obsessed with the adventures of Captain America and Bucky. Taking the boy under his wing, the teacher and his student uh, decided that the superhero duo must live again to combat the rising red menace. Remember, this was the 1950s. 
And so, fueled by a variant of the super soldier formula, Cap and Bucky returned to smash commies. But unknowns to them, the formula was imperfect and it affected their minds, making them see any non-white American as a threat and slowly driving them insane. Eventually, they were stopped and placed into suspended animation until such time as a cure could be found. In Captain America's 153 through 156, they were thought out and released by a well-intentioned politician who feared for the future of the United States. Uh, They, of course, wound up battling the real Captain America and were eventually apprehended and, for a time, thought to be returned back to suspended animation. But instead, they wound up in the care of Dr. Faustus, who manipulated and controlled the Captain America of the 1950s to his eventual destruction. Bucky was also thought dead after readers witnessed what looked like his execution at the hands of the 1950s Cap as a test of his loyalty to Faustus, but it turns out that this was all a ruse. Faustus realized that there was value in continuing to exploit both Cap and Bucky, and so the gun he'd provided to Cap in the test was just full of blanks. After Faustus's inevitable defeat, S.H.I.E.L.D. took Bucky in, this Bucky, and eventually managed to cure him, and then they just cut him loose in a world that he barely even knows. So, now we're all up to speed. Bucky apologizes for intruding on Steve's life, and then he turns to go. But then Rogers, you know, demonstrating all the reasons that I love this character... He realizes that the boy has nowhere else to go and that he never asked for any of this to happen to him. He was just trying to do the right thing in a time when the country desperately needed heroes and in doing so was ultimately only trying to honor the legend and memory of Bucky Barnes. Steve invites him to stay and then welcomes him to the world of 1983. Later that night, in full costume as Bucky, the boy joins Cap on his patrol slash workout. Steve learns that his real name is Jack, Jack Monroe, and both of them find that they are more comfortable with that name than Bucky. Uh, But the moment between the two newfound friends is very short-lived, however, when Cap is ambushed via a ploy by the Constrictor and then carried off in a helicopter, leaving young Jack to scream, Why? And that's this issue. And uh, I just got to say... I, I love this. This may very well be my very favorite issue of Captain America. I, I can't exactly explain why. It's just, I think this was the first time as a kid reading this issue that I realized just how how big and broad and full of things that I had no concept of the world of Captain America really was. Because this fills in a hell of a gap. What happened to the country between the time Cap disappeared and the time that Cap reappeared? Plus, I never realized until much, much later that this was also addressing a big old continuity error, which was Captain America continued to be published well after the time that retroactively Stan Lee said that he went missing in 1945. So this is basically filling in, well, not this issue in particular, but the the entire story of the Cap and Bucky of the 1950s was addressing, well, well, who the hell was that that we saw in comics in the 50s in Captain America comics if it wasn't Captain America? And that's where we found out that 
it was Cap, but not the Cap that we know. And I really like this because, you know, in that story of the Cap of the 1950s from Cap, uh, Captain America 153 through 156, that tells a pretty complete story of what happens to the 1950s Cap. But at the end of that story, Bucky's just simply knocked out by, uh, I, I believe, by the Falcon. And then the next time we see him is when he's unceremoniously shot in the head by the 1950s cap as a as a loyalty test to dr faustus this issue basically addresses that you know it it creates a loophole that well no he you know it was all just blanks and you know all this sort of thing in order to bring this character forward i always liked this character a lot and another thing that lent into me not being really that crazy about the winter soldier is all right this is a big old spoiler alert for anybody that may not know this character is now dead because the winter soldier killed him and i've never liked that i've never been comfortable with that because i liked this character a lot didn't scourge and kill jack monroe or am I what's that i thought didn't scourge kill jack monroe or am i miss no, I think that Jack Monroe was Scourge for a while, was wasn't he? Maybe that. Uh, I think that was revealed in the Thunderbolts that that he was. I don't know if he was the only Scourge, but I think he was a Scourge. Could have swore there was. I. Well, wait a minute. Oh, I think I'm getting okay. Because wasn't Monroe killed and stuffed in a trunk of a car? Yes. Yes. Okay. And he, the he Winter was Soldier did that. Shot. I'm sorry. And the Winter Soldier did that. The Winter Soldier shot him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Trunk okay. of right, now, maybe that's where I was getting confused. By the time that story happened, Jack Monroe had kind of played out as a character because beyond much beyond this, he never been nomad. Yeah, he never really went anywhere. He became Nomad, which is a, a largely forgettable title and a largely forgettable character. And he bounced around in the background of the Marvel Universe, you know, for essentially 20 years until in the Brubaker Winter Soldier storyline, he he pops back up as pretty much just, I don't know if he was a drug addict or if there was something wrong with him. Like, like mentally, I think he was like his mind was degrading or something, or maybe he was mm-hmm. a drunk or I forget now, but there was something mentally wrong with him. Maybe, maybe okay, it'll... Well, I'm, I'm- on the uh, Marvel Comics wiki, and it says, Jane Foster revealed to Jack that he had limited time to live. The Super Soldier variant, which it says was he was injected with, was degrading and his immune system was going haywire. Jack spent the last year of his life frequenting a bar mentally unstable. He spent many nights attacking innocent people under the delusion he was fighting drug dealers. He believed he tracked down his daughter, Bucky, living with her foster parents, but this may have been another delusion. He encountered the Winter Soldier, the original Bucky, returned at last, and was shot and killed. Winter Soldier threw Jack's body into the trunk of a car, intending to use him as a scapegoat for a terrorist attack in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. See... Hmm. There's no way that that it could really by by the time that by the time of Brubaker's run, there's no way that they could have salvaged this particular character the way that I would like. But ultimately, 
the thing with the Winter Soldier. See, I, I I'm not opposed to the the character. I like this idea of this this sleeper agent that the Russians were using intermittently, you know, for for decades. That they would bring him out for particular missions. They'd let him complete the mission, and then they'd put him right back on ice. And that in itself, I think, is a pretty cool concept. My bitch with that whole thing is that it's Bucky Barnes that they're doing it with. Bucky Barnes died. And I hate that retroactively now he never did die. I, I just I can't stand that concept. I think if they were going to do that story, this is the guy that they should have used. The problem is this story kind of stands in the way of that because now he's back. But if they could have found a way to work that all out, I think that Jack Monroe so much better fits that slot, if you will, than Bucky Barnes does. Because not only are you bringing back Bucky, which, again, I I think he should have always remained one of the untouchable dead. I I think he serves a very vital purpose in not only the Marvel Universe, but particularly in Captain America's mental makeup. But also, Jack Monroe was already mentally unstable. So it's a lot less of a stretch for him to be the one that could be conditioned to become the winter soldier than it would be for, for, you know, uh, innocent patriotic hero, Bucky Barnes to be turned into an assassin. Mm. I'm just not comfortable with that corruption of that character. Jack Monroe not as much of a stretch. I could kind of see that. Plus, they'd already been playing with the whole, you know, cryogenically suspended, you know, uh, you know, suspended animation thing anyway. You know, keeping him on ice and only bringing him out when they actually needed him. So again, not that far of a stretch. I'm not sure how they could have possibly have reconciled it. That's why I say this story kind of stands in the way of all that. But I can't help thinking, revisiting this story again after so many years, that, damn, this, w- this was the guy. This was the guy that it, sh- it should have been. But I'm curious what you guys think of that. I don't think it's a bad idea that, that he could have been the sleeper agent. I think that makes sense. But I think his, his goal wasn't to create a sleeper agent. His goal was to bring back Bucky. Right. Yeah. So... You know, it, it it's just the, the the two goals are at odds with each other. Uh, but I, I think your your concept of him being the mentally unstable guy who can easily be manipulated that way makes sense. Yeah, that would have been a much more much more palatable for some people to accept than the fact that the way that you know some people may think that the Bucky character was corrupted. Um, but, but I think that, I think the general public has. You know, as Scott said earlier, I think you know he's he's swimming against the tide on this one because I think the general public has actually accepted the return of Bucky fairly well without too much uh, too much complaining, which is surprising well, in, fact, in many ways. Well, in fact, and he also after uh, spoilers, if you hadn't read or seen Captain America uh, in the past, uh, what was it in the past five or six years uh, that. Cap was killed for a while, and Bucky picked up the mantle of Captain America. Yeah. And then in, a, in a very back. badly designed Alex Ross costume. Yeah. And again, I, I feel like I'm... I, I could be dead wrong, but I feel like I'm in the minority on that, too, because from what I've heard, that seems to be... Uh, you know, it seems to be pretty overwhelmingly 
positive on that whole thing. And again, I, I really didn't care for that because it was a much darker cap. It, it wasn't, it wasn't as much of a, of a red, white, and blue mom, apple pie, Captain America as just, you know, here's a gun wielding kind of, I don't want to say he was a nut, but he was, he was just more of a, of a, I don't know, almost an anti-hero in a way. And that's just not Captain America to me. So didn't they, didn't they they eventually see, I'm still not up on recent comics. Didn't they, um, wasn't he tried for crimes he had committed as the winter soldier? I don't know if they actually tried him or if they arrested him with the intent of trying him. Well, see, he was definitely was, in some form of prison, though. I was looking at something today because, again, I haven't read this issue or reread this issue in many, many years. And so digging this out, you know, it's so wonderful to every once in a while you can dig out an old issue that you cherish from your childhood. And so often what happens on these shows when I do something like that, I'm, I'm almost inevitably disappointed. Like, oh, man, that just wasn't as good as I thought it was. In this particular case, it's just as good, maybe even better. This was like going home to me. It was I, I love this issue. The art's fantastic. I really like the story. But something I'd completely forgotten. See, my memory of this was that Cap just was looking at old movies. But no, this was Cap going to the theater with his girlfriend. I'd completely forgotten about Bernie. So I looked up Bernie. I was like, yeah, these guys loved each other. What, what the hell ever happened to Bernie? So I looked up Bernie, and I couldn't find out what happened to her as far as their relationship. But her character, it said that eventually she went off, she became a lawyer, and she's actually the one that defended the Winter Soldier at trial. At least that's the, the entry that I saw on the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I believe so. that is accurate. Mm. Yeah, I was just reading here. It says... Uh, Okay, this is just after the siege story. Lauren Barnes was then put on trial for the crimes he committed as a winter soldier. He was found not guilty in an American court, but Russian officials took him away, having convicted him of crimes against the state and claiming he had gone rogue and killed two civilians. So he escaped with help from Black Widow, returned to the U.S. Uh, And then they eventually... uh, He was apparently killed in battle. This is during the Fear Itself storyline. He was killed in... Uh, takes up the Captain America identity again, is apparently killed in battle. Uh, he survives, but basically, oh, he survives because he has been injected with the Infinity Formula. Mm-hmm. With the world believing him to be dead. Hey, Paul. Da-da-da. Yes. Hey, I'm sorry to make editing work for you, but I need just a minute, all right? Give me one second. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm not editing world. this. I'm leaving it in. And the world must go on believing that he is dead. That he's returned to the uh, identity of the Winter Soldier to uh, to do quote unquote special jobs, and he, and so. he's now once again a uh, behind the scenes player. He's not a, right. He's, exactly. he's not in the public eye anymore. Yeah, because right. Cap's back, and you're going to be in trouble. Hey now, hey now. Cap's Although back. they they just started a new uh, a new Winter Soldier series. I think it's a mini series. I don't think it's a an ongoing. Uh, they have two issues out so far, and I haven't. I haven't even looked at it yet, so I have no idea of uh, as to quality. But I guess that's you know, with the movie coming out, they want to try and get it a little bit more, uh, you know, take advantage. Mm. Something I was looking at today said that he's—I don't know if the book is still going—but he was a member of the modern-day invaders. Have you guys looked at any of that stuff? No. I know they have. 
three issues of that, I think, so far. And I actually heard it was pretty good, but I haven't read that yet either. Do you know if Toro is in it? I don't. Because that was, that was like one of the things I liked most and like probably my most lasting memory from that uh, Avengers Invaders. There was a 12-issue maxi a couple years ago mm-hmm. that, that Marvel did. And, and the end of that, there was some time loophole thing that, that happened at the end of it that Toro was revealed to still be alive in the modern era. And I've just wondered if they've used him at all since they, you know, since they basically bothered to to find a, a, a way to cheat and bring him back very cleverly. I thought that I hope that they actually use the guy now, you know, there must've been a reason or, you know, you'd like to think there was a reason behind them doing that. So I just wondered if they actually used him. Cause that would be interesting to see the winter soldier and Toro together as some sort of, I don't know, buddy cop team or some damn thing, mm. you know, just something anyway. But but that's all I had on this. Uh, like I said, just, just a blast to re- revisit this issue. And I liked it so much that, hell, I might go back and reread the uh, the Zek run of Captain America because, damn, I love this stuff. Yeah, well, the Zek and, and most, most of it's Grunewald, right? Uh, during the time I'm most familiar with, it's J.M. DeMatteis. Oh, yeah, J.M. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. I'm not yeah, sure it, where, where Grunewald came in. I think, I think Zek was still on it when Grunewald came in. Don't hold me to that, but I, I think so. But the, the era that I consider to be my Captain America is like dead, you know, right in the middle of this right here where it's, uh, DeMatteis is the scripter and, uh, and Zek and Beatty is the artist. It's funny because there's only, you know, we're only five years apart in age or so, and uh, yet my my run is the Steve Englehart run of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, it, which I believe is significantly more than five years before this. Well, see, but, no, and, I, and I'm totally off on the other end of the spectrum from you guys because, oddly enough, e- even as the only cap exposure I've had was in, in, in the Avengers, I never really read a lot of his solo stuff. Um, not like I did with Iron Man, um, but the only time I really actively started collecting Cap and reading it on a regular basis was just before the Brewbreaker run and all through that when um, uh, when the Winter Soldier came back. So that, to me, is the most Cap stuff that I have read. Hmm. Wow. So. <laughs> So all the movies, I mean, I know some of the storylines here and there, but I haven't actually read any of it. So actually, most of the stuff in the movie will be pretty fresh to me, except you know I'm I'm still hoping that they're going to have some callbacks and that we're going to have some twist that hasn't gotten out yet in in the movie. But I guess we'll see, or by the time this comes out, we'll know because I'm going to see it Saturday night probably when uh, Ben and I get back from a field trip from school. Yeah, I know my my son has got stuff going on on Friday night and Saturday, so the plan is we're going to see it on Sunday. Mm. How about you, Scott? You've missed a first nighter. I'm going to try. I'm going to try my, my best because I this is one I've really been looking forward to. So I would like to try to get right in there and see it right away and not be spoiled on anything if I can possibly help it. Will Scotty and Logan go with you or have they outgrown going to the movies with their old man? Oh, no. they We, we still go to the movies quite a bit together. Um, they haven't said anything, but I would imagine that they're they're pretty psyched for this one as well. So I, I hope they want to go see it with me. I, they, we haven't really discussed it, but I, we usually go see the big... Uh, the big Marvel movies together. So yeah, otherwise you uh. could just be the creepy guy in the back row by himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think I'm going to have to seriously stay away from the internet that Friday and Saturday. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yep. Yeah, it's another reason I want to go to it, you know, opening night so that, you know, some somebody doesn't. And a lot of times I think it's even accidental that people don't mean to. They just don't think about things ahead of time when they post them. And then I see it and I'm like, ah, crap, you know. They don't so, mean to. They're just stupid. <laughs> well, I didn't say that, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DeManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 